Hello, welcome to Stump, Death and Taxes. This is me, also known as Mary Pat Campbell. I'm a life actuary, and this is part two of a series. I Last time I was talking about the plagiarism scandal, I guess, with Claudine Gay at Harvard. And, uh, you know, she's not president of Harvard anymore, but she's still a faculty member. Um, it's plagiarism, you know, academia, plagiarism, fake data, all of that kind of jazz. And I was talking about the incentives to plagiarism and fake data in this area of academic careers and the incentives they have to do this like if you don't have the results but you have to produce you have to publish and of course copy paste and then altering data so that you have publishable results it makes sense in a tournament career where there's so few positions and you know the way you compete is to get those publications and you have to politic and this that and the other and yeah, you can say, oh, you know, in, in the business world, you have that too. It's within a corporation you do, but between corporations, you know, businesses come and go. Uh, businesses and sectors can grow and they can shrink. Uh, it's very different from academia to a certain extent. Anyway, um, so that was part one. And I was just talking about the plagiarism and a little bit about the faked data. So this time I want to talk about... Uh, you know, how do we deal with writing or, you know, the publications and stuff in this age of chat GPT, generative AI, because that's not exactly plagiarism, though it kind of is, I guess, because of course, the chat GPT and all these generative AIs have been trained on text written by other people. And it's generating, you know, kind of probabilistically, uh, in many ways in, you know, this kind of, it's not voodoo, but you know, this alchemy that people don't really w understand well in these neural nets. And I, you know, going on a sidebar, my academic background, just talking a little bit about this. I went to NYU um, from 1996 to 2002. Yeah, I was there kind of a long time, but I had a great time. I learned a lot. Um, that was not even in my supposed field, uh, but I did do some computer science uh, uh, classes, even though that's not, you know, my area. My area was modeling neurons, but I, I was doing probabilistic modeling. Uh, but one of the things that I learned about was, you know, neural nets. I was looking at them at a time, but this was like, you know, late 1990s, very early 2000s. The computing power we had then, neural networks and that kind of models and trying to use them, they didn't converge rapidly. Uh, the, the math we had then and the computing power we had then, they weren't very usable. But now, of course, we can. It, it wasn't the volume of data we had. You know, you could train uh, the LLMs on the data we had back then and you could get good results, I bet. 
it's that it would take forever the computing power we had back then. Okay, anyway, sidebar over. But here's the problem, of course, is, you know, say you're a composition teacher and you ask people to write a five paragraph essay on aardvarks, you know, whatever. Back in the day, like back in my day, uh, you know, you would have to tell them, you know, tell students, no, you cannot sit down and copy the entry on aardvarks from the encyclopedia. Okay, and I had three encyclopedias. Actually, I have the three encyclopedia sets from 1974 that my father bought when I was born. They're up in my library. I have them physically. They still exist. Um, <laughs> I like them. I used to read them for fun as a kid. And I was told, you know, well, you could use a quote from the encyclopedia, but they didn't actually like us using the encyclopedia as a source, even if we sourced it correctly um, at the time. So that's just an information. We could read it to get some information, but if we used information from the encyclopedia, we still had to basically reword everything uh, about it. Uh, but now, you know, a student could go into ChatGPT and say, tell me about aardvarks. And it would, I mean, it really will spit out a whole five paragraph essay for you, even without you asking for five paragraphs, because it tends to be verbose as its default mode. You can ask for a poem about aardvarks and all sorts of things. Um, ChatGPT tends to just really go on and on. Um, I've used it for all sorts of things. One of the things I've liked to use ChatGPT for is to take something that's already be, been written and then ask it to reorganize it. That's something I, I like doing. Um, I took some, something somebody else wrote. Um, so I used it as an editor once. Um, so that was kind of fun. But, you know, this is a problem that teachers are running into. And so they're, they've been wanting detectors and, you know, there's various ways to detect that ChatGPT is out there. So for example, uh, Guillaume uh, Cabanac, and this was in one of my prior Stomp uh, podcast episodes. Uh, chat GPT, um, and it was seeking ye shall find what in the area of chat GPT in academic papers. And he was searching, I think he was searching on as an AI language model or as, as an language model or something like that. He obviously was searching on per particular text strings within, um, yeah, uh, use as an AI language model. Uh, and a lot of people evidently were not searching for uh, what was, you know, in the text because they probably were not native English speakers. And they, if they were, they would have known to delete, to delete that particular text before they submitted their paper to the journal. Uh, but this is also on the journal because are the journal editors English speakers? I mean, why is it there? That's a question. A lot. Uh, and then there's the lawyers who submit um, 
things. But let me let me get back to this because Guillaume Cabanac, you know, on his Twitter feed, uh, he reposted something from Clement Fontana. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing everybody's names. That uh, evidently some publication acknowledged. In their editorial, ChatGPT has contributed to the conceptualization and drafting of this editorial. Well, I use ChatGPT for idea generation sometimes or completion if I'm missing something. I use it almost like a search engine uh, for certain th for certain things. But here's the problem with ChatGPT, as we all know, it quote hallucinates because it's doesn't know things that are true or not. It doesn't do math. It doesn't know math at all. It's not a machine learning thing. It's this neural network and the way it works. It, you know, it, it does English language grammar very well for the English corpus it has in generating that in associations, but it will give you things that are totally false. Uh, you really want your citations, you really want to go to the original documents of the information and know whether it's true or not. So this actually brings me back to um, a tirade on calculator use in math classes that I wrote back in the year two, in the year 2000. And this one is one I get a lot of use out of because it's still a problem because I don't think that uh, math classes use drill basic, you know, math, you know, mechanics in students enough because of course it's very boring and tedious to do that, but it's like playing scales when you're learning piano or, you know, doing various finger exercises. If you're learning guitar or finger picking or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I wrote this in August 25th, 2000. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to read a little excerpt uh, from it when, and actually I'm just going to do a summary at the very beginning. And this is me. In, in 1988, I took trigonometry in high school and our teacher had been a laid off engineer engineer from Black and Decker. He did not let us use in the like first month or two, he did not let us use calculators at all. He made us do linear interpolation and using trig tables. Uh, so yeah, we learned linear interpolation by hand. So that involves long division by hand. Um, and it was a pain in the ass. Okay. We hated it. Uh, but if you're going to do long division, you better believe that you, you got to be sure <laughs> you are looking up the correct numbers in the table and that you are doing the interpolation that you should be doing. Okay. That you're looking up sine when you should be looking up sine and not cosine, that you're doing the correct calculation because you don't want to do more calculations than you have to. That's the whole point. Um, but you know, by 1996, so that's when I graduated, graduated college, you know, there were calculators. I mean, we, there were graphing calculators back then, but you know, uh, you know, there's graphing calculators, but the calculators by then, the most expensive calculators you could get, um, you could do symbolic math on them. 
like it would take a first derivative or it would do uh, indefinite integral for you. And I had to tell the professors about this. Uh, they didn't know, some of them, some of the professors did not know that calculators that they were allowing in class could do this. And I said, you know, you either have to say which calculators are allowed or not allowed, or you have to change your tests. Um, you know, there's a lot of different choices you can make and the nature of the tests will change depending on what you're going to allow. And uh, the calculus curriculum at NC State, while it was there, while it was there, had fully incorporated the symbolic, I'm reading from my uh, bit now, symbolic math program, MAPLE, which is similar to Mathematica, if you know, into its calculus curriculum. And it was MAPLE because Canadians did it. I saw many of the students doing the same thing as my fellow students from trigonometry. Uh, several years before. So by the way, back in my trig class, after the few, first couple months, then he let us use a regular scientific calculator that had sine and cosine and all of that on that. However, I had a problem. My younger sisters kept stealing my calculators, so I still had to do linear interpolation. No, or not really. Um, uh, my dad let me use his slide rule from his, from his college years, and I learned how to use a slide rule. Um, and I could, you know, that was a lot easier using a slide rule rather than doing uh, linear interpolation by hand. But I still got answers, still got answers faster than the people with calculators because once they had a calculator in their hand, they would, you know, if they had an angle, like 30 degrees or 60 degrees or whatever in their triangle and whatever, they would calculate both sine and cosine and sometimes tangent, and they wouldn't know which one to apply. But I had learned, like, you better know which of the trigonometric functions that you really want to calculate if you're, it's a pain in the ass to calculate it. Um, so this is a stupid, as I said, this is a stupid way to apply technology to math problems. And this is one of the big problems with a calculator. A lot of times when the students have a calculator in their hands, they'll just try whatever functions they have. And pick whatever number they think looks closest to what the answer should be rather than think through what are the operations I actually have to do because to them it's as to them it's costless to push buttons okay so let's think in terms of chat gpt okay in terms of chat gpt i can just say you know tell me you know to you know give me an essay on aardvarks or write this or write that. If you look at the actual output, it's boring as hell. And they say, oh, but you just need to do prompt engineering and you can change the tone and do this. Well, yeah, you can. It's still boring as hell. People are like, oh, there's entire books being published that are generated by ChatGPT and they are trash. No, I don't mean like porn trash. I mean, they are just useless because you can't tell them you know, I want an instruction manual for this and it's got to be true. And this is part of the problem. You need to have a process where things are actually, things are actually vetted. You need to actually go through and make sure things are actually true. To the people using chat GPT, just asking a prompt 
and then copy pasting the result into whatever document, to them it's costless. Oh, it uses however many tokens or whatever. Um, it's not costless. Yeah, um, yeah, right. But you're not thinking in terms of the quality of the output. Okay. And what it's really doing. The example I gave in my calculator rant had to do with maple. And I say, okay, I'm asking you for the sign, S-I-N-E, of 38 degrees. If you put it in the maple input line, so S-I-N, open paren, 38.0, close paren, semicolon, it gives a response, 0.296368587. Okay, so it's a float and, you know, gives you a lot of decimals, etc. Looks good, right? I got a number between negative 1 and 1. 38 degrees is in the first quadrant, sign must be positive, so 0.29, blah, blah, blah. However, if I had been thinking, even before I typed this in, I would have known this number couldn't be correct. Why? Because sine of 30 degrees is 0.5, sine of 45 degrees is about 0.707, so the answer of 38, sine of 38, has to be between 0.5 and 0.707. Um, you know, if I had done linear interpolation, it needs to be about 0.6 something. Okay, so what happened? Oh, silly me, maple, you have to put it in angles as radians, not degrees. So then you fix that, and it's, you know, more complicated when you do that. And so that's like your prompt engineering kind of thing. Well, you know, this is part of the problem with ChatGBT. You can use it effectively. And if you were a teacher and you say, okay, people want to use ChatGPT, that's fine, but I'm going to expect better quality papers as a result and therefore grade more harshly given you have access to ChatGPT. Doesn't that make sense? That makes sense. Don't you think? Now, they're not going to like that. That's like doing open book uh, exams. When, and uh, I don't want to talk about the worst exam. I mean, the worst exam I had was this exam we were given, and we were given the next semester to get it done. It's like we developed an entire theory with regards to probability distributions on the Cantor set. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, I hated that one. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, this was in graduate school. Uh, I had some of the most absurd final exams in, uh, in uh, graduate school. But here is the problem. So, uh, yeah, here, you know, I, I taught calculus, uh, of course. Uh, one of the things that I had a problem with with calculus were people who... In, cal in college is a lot of people had people had calculus in high school. They obviously did not score high enough on the achievement test or the AP test to place out a first semester calculus, which is why they were in my class. So, you know, they, they would throw attitude at me and I can't teach someone who thinks they already know the subject. So, okay, fine. You know, you supposedly know first semester calculus. Here's something that's in first semester calculus. Differentiate, you know, d dx of x to the power of x. 
That's the symbolic differential. I'm not saying at a particular point. Away from zero. We're not doing it at zero. Um, some positive number, like at one. Um, okay, so this is what most of them would do. So they would say, oh, okay, you bring the exponent down. So x times x to the power, open print, open print, x minus one, close print. So I would tell them, can you simplify that? And, you know, if they were paying attention, they, they usually were good enough to know the, you know, rules of exponents and they would get x to the power of x. Well, there's only one function that it's its own derivative, and that's a constant times e to the power of x. So and that constant can be zero, So, but a constant times e to the power of x, which is not x to the power of x. Most of them had those calculators with the symbolic differentiation. They said, you know, make your calculator do it. And the calculator would give them x to the power of x, times, open paren, natural log of x plus one, close paren. And most of them could not tell me how to get that answer. It's, act it's actually not very difficult if you, if you know calculus, if you actually knew calculus. I told them to sit down I, and I'm going like, you know, we, we will get to that. You are not getting out of this class. Uh, because most of them have just learned math as a cookbook. They've not really thought about that. Similarly for chat GPT, you know, you ask it a question, it spits out a bunch of stuff. They don't think too deeply about that bunch of stuff that comes out of chat GPT. It's magic. It's magic. And not thinking about, okay, so what are you going to do with that magic text that comes out of ChatGPT? It can be very useful. I have no problem with using these tools, but you need to use it properly. And you need to think about what is it going to do for you? So things that you can do with ChatGPT, okay, um, for doing a paper, I'm like, if I were a, if I were a composition teacher, I would teach the class in a totally different way. And I think using the tool is fine, but you need to teach them how to properly use the tool. Use the tool saying that, okay, go back to basics. And by back to basics is, hey, this is an opportunity to go to back to classical rhetoric. I am not joking. Uh, classical rhetoric. Um, and I actually used, this was before ChatGPT, by the way. Okay. Um, used classical rhetoric in my writing class at UConn. Uh, that was for actuaries in terms of how do you persuade an audience and balancing, you know, it's like, we want to not bore the audiences actuaries and i was also talking in terms of public speaking you want to balance ethos logos pathos okay that's i bet you weren't expecting this right <laughs> coming into this that you would this would wrap up with classical rhetoric and this is like at the core 
I mean, yes, and also teach logical, teach logos, which is the logical reasoning and how to do a logical argument because chat GPT cannot do that. Think about it. It sucks at that. It really sucks at logos. There's pathos, which is the emotion and the human connection. Now it can come with some of that, but not really. If you have tried it, it can change tone and it does understand differences in tone, but like good anecdotes and, you know, really it, it has this kind of blandness to it. Even if you have it change tone and that kind of thing, there's, it's kind of hollow. What it is good at is giving you, if you have trouble with like writer's block, of giving you a lot of the smoothness in between and helping you come up with an idea and smooth out text. That's the way I, I see it as a smoothing tool. I see it, I see it as an organizational tool. I see as it helps because I suck at coming up with titles and stuff, you know, give me some titles, um, give me some quit, you know, here's some text, give me some quiz questions from this text, uh, something like that, something simple, but you know, logos, that's the logic, you know, there's some traditional ways of setting up arguments. Uh, the pathos is that emotional element of it, you know, coming up, it requires knowledge of the individual people. It, it requires knowledge of say history and some historical examples. Um, so for, for example, cause this is something I've been thinking about is Purgatorio, um, from Dante. And one of the things that I like about Purgatorio is for each of the levels, and it's very organized, obviously, uh, around the seven, the seven deadly sins from the most serious to the least serious. And for each level, it has the contrasting virtues for each sin. So, you know, the contrast from pride is humility, for example. And on each level, there are three frescoes or, you know, there's, or maybe not frescoes, but like artworks that are supposed to illustrate that virtue. And like usually one from the Old Testament, one from um, classical, like, you know, Greek or Roman uh, history, and then one usually from the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, um, you know, it's quite interesting. And that's, it's it's partly pathos and some of it is ethos which is shared values and you chat gpt can't really do that quite right don't think so don't think so um you can ask it for examples but you have to know the examples to ask it for uh so i mean you could say that's prompt engineering and sure it might be but um it does require having some knowledge. So you have to get some knowledge of actual history. You have to get some knowledge of actual human beings that are in your classroom, say, or in your community. That helps with the pathos and the ethos. Logos is your logic and, you know, some basic ways of reasoning and what are actual fallacies that would help. 
Um, but again, I bet you weren't expecting that for me to say, you know, chat GPT would help, but as a, you know, for composition, you could say, I'm expecting this sort of better composition from you. These are some things, tools we can use that chat GPT might not be so great at. You know, some examples will come up in ChatGPT because its training set has them, but um, it's not necessarily going to be so well structured. It tends to have this blandness to it because of what it's trained on, you know. Um, but, you know, it can. it's good at making lists. It's good at making examples. Um, it's good at help at idea generation. Um so, you know, I don't have a problem with using the tools. The issue is understanding how to use them well. Um, and I'm fine with using them, but don't use them stupidly. And that's why I'm saying like uh, a lot of them with the hallucinations. Well, I'm sorry, you're actually going to have to do research and actually find your real, your real examples. You're going to have to find your real citations uh, and you can't have ChatGPT generate all of that for you. Um, and it also means, unfortunately, teachers, you're going to actually have to go and check and see if the citations are what they actually are and if the facts cited are actually true. It means the academics also have to up their game. Um, and that's part of the issue. There has been a real quality degradation and many people know that. Um, so that's very interesting to me, uh, with regards to, um, you know, all of this chat GPT stuff. Um, love it. You know, use it. It's just a tool. Um, learn how to communicate. This is also an opportunity an opportunity for people to learn public speaking. ChatGPT can't stand in for you. Oh, you can use an AI. Nope, they got to do it in person. <laughs> uh, yeah, they can't have a video stand in for them. Let's see how well that works. So that's been Stump. <laughs> Death and Taxes. And yes, this is really meep in my voice and not one of those AI generated things. You can tell because I'm a lot more interesting than those voices that they generate at a monotone. Uh, I've heard them. They're, they're not that interesting so far. Okay, that's been me. Meep. Bye-bye.